I remember as a high school student, the day I got my driver's license, right? I heard the laws changed, but back then you could get your license when you were 16, okay? And so I was kind of in that weird middle zone where I got my license when I was 16, but there was like a six-month probation, right, where you weren't allowed to drive anyone, right? It's only you, or you can only drive an adult and so forth, right? But man, when I got my license, I was so thrilled because it meant that I was going to be the coolest guy on campus now, right, in my class, right? I have a January birthday, so I was like one of the first guys to get my driver's license, right? I was so excited because I like, could give whoever I want rides. We'll go drink boba because that's about all you can do, right, or go bowling, right? But, but the fact that you had a car, right, never mind that it was a 1991 Toyota Camry, okay, it wasn't modern by any standards, right? Because as some of my other friends, right, they started getting their licenses. They were driving like BMWs and Lexuses, right? And I got obsolete, right? But I knew I had like six months. Six months to exercise my cool guyness and hopefully get a girlfriend on the way. That was my real motivation, okay? Man, I was so happy that I got my license, okay? And one of the things and one of the ways that you kind of flex your coolness after you get your license is you give people rides, right? Like I said, I drove a 91 Camry, so there's not much you can do, right? When you floor it, it feels as though you're going the same as though you're barely tapping it, okay? So you can't really flex car muscles or anything, but I had a car, and like at church, you know, I was serving in our youth group, and there was like a particular day we were going into a Harvest Crusade, right? Um, Harvest Crusade is like this big evangelistic thing, but we would still go every year to just get a free concert, you know, and get those free message Bibles, right? And so I was like, they were like, okay, who can drive, right? I'm like, Found your man right here, right? It's so exciting when someone asks, who can drive? And you're like, I will drive. I will drive. It changes as you get older, right? Now if it's like, who can drive? I'm trying to save gas, man. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want to pay for that, right? <laughs> but I volunteered to drive. And so I was so happy. Now, this was me, though, intentionally violating my mother's request, though, after I got my license, right? After I got my license, my mom said just two things, okay? Could you come home when I ask you to, right? And secondly, don't give anyone else a ride because you could kill all of them, right? Like my mom, you know, she's like, oh, that's reasonable, right? But I was like, oh, but, but imminent death or the potential to be really cool, okay? So I chose cool, right? At all places in a for a church event, okay? So we're going to Harvest Crusade and I volunteered to drive. I packed out my car, right? But unfortunately, they didn't let me take any, like, sisters, okay? They were, like, they're too precious, right? So they only made me take <laughs> they had a car full of brothers, right? And so we're, like, we're cruising, right? We're going, from, we're going from Carson down to Anaheim at Angel Stadium, taking the freeway. And I'm, like, I'm, like, you know, man, who, who listens to the instructors who tell you to drive with both hands on the wheel, right? No, I'm, like, I, I made sure I reclined my seat a little bit more. Again, it wasn't automatic, so I had to, you know... Right? You got to roll it back, right? And you don't just grab the steering wheel like this. You know what you do? You carchaw. You know what carchaw is? You like hang your hand over. Okay. So we're going, right? We're on the freeway. We're just chilling. And for a moment, I started looking out the window, right? And I was like, dude, these guys think I'm so cool. I'm like the coolest cat here, right? And suddenly, as I was drifting off in my mind, thinking about how cool I was, my buddy in the passenger seat goes, oh my gosh, 
And I look forward. And for some reason, this car is coming really fast backwards. Except it wasn't the car coming backwards. I just failed to pay attention. And I was about to careen into the car in front of me, right? And so I couldn't brake hard enough, fast enough. And I just, I rear-ended the car, right? Thankfully, the car was a Jeep. And Jeeps made in the mid-90s were super sturdy. And on top of that, it was one of our church older guys, (laughs) right? (laughs) It was so funny, though. We got out of the car to examine the damage. His Jeep had like a little dent this big. My Toyota Camry entire front bumper caved all the way in. I was like, I believe in the power of Jeep, okay? So needless to say, after that, right, I I started listening to my mom once again. Right? You got to follow the rules. You got to follow the laws. You got to follow the structures that are given when you're not mature enough to exercise the liberty and freedom that you have. So structure, rules, and laws aren't always a bad thing. Right? Because in its intent, in its design, they're meant to guard. They're meant to protect. They're meant to guide us, guide us into what's good. When I think about my relationship with God, because he's the most benevolent, most loving, most caring, authoritative being, sometimes I stop to wonder, why not just make us, God, live by rules forever? Because if he's perfect and if he's good, then his law will be the same. And since God is not a despot nor a tyrant, you would think if there's anyone who could rule his people righteously under the guise of a structure, rules, and laws, and set ways. You would think it ought to be God. And yet, he chooses not to. I find that to be interesting. Over the past few weeks, as we've been going through this Galatians series, we've been talking about the importance of faith. How justification, salvation, these things aren't bought by works. You can't prove yourself to God no matter how hard you try. And today, as we're going through the frame of mind that Paul has been taking us through in the past three chapters and we arrive at Galatians chapter 4, the question that we have to ask Paul, the question that we have to ask the text, the question that we need to ask God is, then God, though you are perfect in who you are, and as good as structure can be, because structure can keep people in line, true? Why don't you keep us in line that way? Why do you not rule us by the law in our relationship today? That's the question I want us to think about and examine. You see, if I'm God, right? I used to do VBS, right? I was the worst VBS teacher, right? Seriously, these kids would start going crazy, right? Man, if you ask me, do I, in that moment, do I love rules, laws, and structure? Oh, yeah. Sit down. Don't eat that. Right? Don't put that marker in your mouth. Okay? Right? It's convenient. Right? And structure can be good in those ways. And yet, why not God? Why not you? Why do you not determine our relationship today based on our adherence and obedience to the law? So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn back to Galatians chapter 4. That's the question that we need to get down to today. And again, to build some context for some of you guys who are just joining us today. But the book of Galatians is a fascinating book. 
in Galatians, Paul is addressing the church of Galatia because there are these false teachers who were coming in, these false teachers from Jerusalem. And the way that they were coming in was that they were showing up in the church that's growing and they're saying, yo, you guys are doing your Christianity Jesus thing and it's great. But let me tell you guys, we're bringing in the true teaching from Jerusalem. In fact, we were, we were taught under the apostles in Jerusalem ourselves. And so they came in trying to twist and trying to change the rules of the faith. Jesus came saying that you're only saved through grace by your faith in him. And yet these people came in and say, yeah, faith is good. It's good. But you know what? If you really want to be set apart, if you really want to be godly, if you really want to be accepted, then you got to do the things that God commanded in the Old Testament. Things like circumcision. All the men in the house, you got to be circumcised. Right? Oh, you also have to change what you eat. You can't eat the foods that these Gentiles, unclean Gentiles eat. No, you got to go back to these Jewish customs and rituals. Oh, not only that, you got to make sure that you steer clear of the people who are unclean, sinful, not right. But they made these things metrics as entrance into the faith, not as just devotional acts to God. So we pick up in chapter 4 as Paul continues his argument that he started in the beginning. So verse 1, this is what Paul says. I mean that the heir... As long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay, I want us to just take a moment to understand what Paul means when he's saying that we were once enslaved by the elementary principles of the world. Paul is making a reference to cultural standards, okay? When you look at the vast majority of culture and how the world operates today, the world operates on a standard that says you're only as good, you're only as acceptable, you're only as worthy as what you can offer. Your money, your goodness, your religious deeds, your acts, the things that make you think that you're presentable, you're only as good as what you offer. See, Paul says that these are the elementary principles of the world that we were once enslaved to. It doesn't take long for us to recognize this even in culture today. You go to work, right? How do you get a promotion? You got to show that you're better than everybody else. Even in some families, you want to be the favored child, you got to be able to give something back to your family, right? The world operates in this way, but what Paul is saying is it's not like that in the economy of God and faith. And so it's in this place, Paul is continuing the discussion as to why God had even given the law to start with. Because at first glance, when you see God giving his law to his people, you would think, oh, God's giving it to tell us that we got to follow it. We got to follow it in order to find our acceptance, presentability in him. But as we discussed in the past few weeks, God gave his law for a slightly different reason than most would seem to understand. Now, I want to just highlight two things that we've touched upon in the previous weeks, okay? First, God gave us the law to show that even if it's a perfect standard and a good standard, we do not have the ability to keep it. No matter how good or perfect it is, we do not have the capacity or the capability to keep it, even though we may have the desire to. And secondly, 
I believe that God has given us to his law, even as Paul states in other places, for it to be a tutor to understand the principles of God. What makes God who he is? In that sense, the law is a tutor to help us understand the ways of God and who he is. So I want to highlight this idea of law, freedom, and such, and what Paul is talking about in the law, by taking us back, not high school, but back to elementary school. Okay. You know, when we look at elementary students today, right, right we, we look at them with like such pity. Oh, so structured. <laughs> so many rules, right? Oh, don't you remember like this thing called tardy, <laughs> right? When, as an adult, there's no tardy anymore, right? It's just you're fired, <laughs> right? If you're consistently tardy to wherever you're going, right? But as, as an elementary student, everything was decided for you. Like, okay, 9 to 10, we're going to do English. 10 to 11, we're going to do math. And then 11 to 11, 15, you have break time, right? <laughs> and then from 11, 15 to 12, 30, you have P.E., right? And then after PE, you have what? Lunchtime, right? They even decided for us when we should eat. That's how structured elementary was, right? I remember growing up from elementary, middle to high school, I was like, I can't wait till I go to college because I'm going to decide how I live my life, right? I'm going to choose how this story called Billy Kim's life is going to roll out. So I went to college, right? And like my first year of college was ridiculous. <laughs> like people would be like, hey, Billy, you going to go to class? I was like, what class? And they're like, it's Monday. And I was like, no. <laughs> I decided to make today a holiday. And they're like, how could you do that? I said, because I can, right? That's my only reasoning, right? So I'd like skip a lot of class. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I just felt like I... <laughs> You know, I got into college and I saw everyone, right? They're like, are you going to do internships? Are you going to, are you going to sign up for that volunteering thing? And I was like, oh my gosh, I already did that for four years in high school, right? I can't, I can't bear to do that again, right? So I was like, you know, in my freedom and my autonomy, I was going to take a stand. No, I'm going to live according to my own standards, right? According to my own law, right? In fact, my second semester of freshman year, um, excuse me, second quarter at UCLA, okay? Um, I was rooming with one of my good bu uh, buddies from high school and I don't know what came over us. We were just so happy that we were free. Like we could do whatever we want. You know, in college, it's really nice. You get to choose your own schedule. You get to choose when you eat, how much you want to eat. If you don't want to eat, right? Everything's for the taking. So that week, we like, we didn't make a pact, okay? We didn't sign anything, but we just came back home after our weekend. And we're like, how's your week? And we're like, oh, we got, I got stuff. I got homework, but it's all right. And we're like, yo, Jacob, didn't you just buy second season of 24 on DVD? You guys know Jack Bauer, right? Uh, yeah. I'm like, Yo, you, you want to watch some 24, right? And so like Monday afternoon, we started watching 24. All right, and there's, there's 24 episodes, right? Because it's one per hour. I think we ended up only going out of our dorm just to eat. But this was how ridiculous it was. Because we had the blinds on, right? We would be like, hey, you kind of feeling hungry, right? We're like, yeah, I don't even know what time it is, right? And we would just go out based on our biological need to eat, not based on the time of the day, right? So we watched 24 that whole week, 
And we only went to class like one time each because we had to turn in some homework. And we just came back. I remember going back home that weekend with my laundry. And you know, usually people take back like home like laundry bag, right? I remember I had a plastic bag that was like, like only a fifth filled. Yeah. <laughs> just sedentary for a week. We're just lying down in bed watching TV, right? See, when I think back to those times, I'm like, this is why you need the law, right? This is why you need structure. This is why you need rules. Because let's be honest, as minors, heck, even some adults, <laughs> we have no business dabbling in complete freedom because we do not have the modeling or the inherent values to succeed. It's like when you're a kid, okay, when you were a kid, when I, when I was a kid, I hated my mom. We'd go out trick-or-treating when it still existed, right? We bring you back all this candy. And my mom was like, only three at a time. And I'm like, why? It's cruel. It's all in front of me, man. And you only tell me to eat a few at a time, right? Because I don't value my teeth back then, right? See, rules and structures, laws, they have its place. They teach us. They tutor us. They show us what the principle is behind the structure behind the rule and behind the law. And so a sign of adulthood and maturity is the ability to take my freedom and apply the principles that I've learned over the years in my life. In fact, some of you guys might be saying, yeah, we could use more rules. We could use more structure. We could use more laws in our faith and so forth, right? But you have to understand Although there's inherent danger of deviating from the principles that laws and structures and rules have given to us, it does provide for us one thing that every adult needs when going on to maturity. It's the responsibility to take ownership of the choices that we make. See, because when you follow a structure, when you follow rules, and when you follow a law, you can always blame the law. You can blame the structure. Oh, he made me do it. Oh, my work made me do it. Oh, I did it because they told me to. That's not a sign of adulthood. But the sign of a mature adult is someone who can take what's given and say, I chose to do it. I succeeded. So you own your success. But you can also say, no, I messed up. So you can own your failures as well. To further explain this idea of elementary principles, okay? Elementary principles, as Paul saw it fit in addressing the Judaizers, these false teachers and the community at Galatia, he's saying, God chooses not to throw us under a system of legalism. Because then, your faith in God is not really faith in God. Your faith is more in the rules. Your faith is more in the structure. Your faith is more in the laws. And in fact, if God made us determine our relationship with him based on our obedience to his law and our adherence to it, then it is no different than if someone comes to you and says, you can be my friend, but you better. But you better. If you have a friend or if you know somebody who exercises their relationship with you under the guise of you better, but you better, it's not a real relationship. It's manipulation. God knows that. 
If God had set apart us and made us fall in line with his law and be dictated based on his commands, then he knew that we would be more slaves to the law than we would be in relationship with him. So in that sense, God's law was part of his plan, but it was never his goal. I want to say that again. God's law was always part of his plan, but it was never his goal for us to keep it for the sake of keeping it for the sake of relationship. That's the point that Paul is making. In fact, if God, just think about this. If God made our relationship with him based on our ability to keep his law, it would make the relationship too cheap. It would be too cheap. Because God, as big and as great as he is, he's perfect. He's holy. God does not need another reference point for holiness beyond himself. Isn't that true? God doesn't need another reference point for goodness, for sacrificial love. God's like, I sent my son. How much more sacrificial can I be? Or could anyone be to even measure up to that? And so we often come in front of God and we're like, God, you got to accept me because I came out to church. Oh, because I'm finishing up my Bible plan, right? God, I QT'd for a month. God's like, dude, I made the Bible. <laughs> Do you think God is impressed by our acts of faith because of our acts themselves? No. God is the author of goodness. <laughs> you can't impress the one who both made and perfected all the attributes that we deem worthy, holy, and righteous. It's as though if you had a child one day, right? But this is, this is so Asian too, is it not? Like our parents sometimes feel so much love and so much pride when it's like oh my son oh my daughter came out of this university right like it's the world to them right and so sometimes we impose this back to god oh god must be proud of me then when i do something good doesn't work like that though the ideal model of a parent is not someone who feels fulfilled based on what their children give to them. The ideal parent is someone who feels fulfilled based on what they give to their children. I'm not asking for anything in return. That's hard though, right? Let's be real. Sometimes, like, you know, Jed's 20 months old. Like, I'm like, oh, Jed, you can be whatever you want to be. But like, you know. If you're going to take care of daddy in the future, I'm not going to complain, right? <laughs> oh, no, God, sorry, sorry, I repent, I repent. No, you, right? When we look at God, that's the perspective he's coming from. And so if our relationship is just based on our obedience to the law, God doesn't even need to be in the picture anymore. He could have just dropped off his law and said, peace, I'll see you. God doesn't rule us by the law. How does he? You should look at verse 4. That's what he says. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What a beautiful passage. I love what Paul says here. He's saying, look, God knew that you couldn't follow the law, but he wanted the law to be a tutor. But the only way you could be perfect in your standing in front of God was in theory, if you could be that perfect, that righteous inherently. But God knew we could never be that righteous inherently. So what did he do? He sent his own son under the law that he made himself. That is offensive to God. It's like a teacher who makes a set of rules for her class. And she goes, and I'm going to make sure that I'm the first to follow all of them. I'm going to make sure that I put myself under the law. You see, that's weird, right? In a sense. Well, true in the sense of consistency. But when you're so distant from the creation that you made, when you are already so holy, so perfect, and so awesome to send yourself, to send your son to follow the rules that you made for them on their behalf is a strange thing. It's a humiliating thing. Let me show you. Let me model for you what it looks like to be perfect, to be pleasing. But not only am I going to show it to you, knowing that you could never do it yourself, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let this be credited to you. I'm going to let you take my work. I'm going to let you take everything that I do here on this earth and make it part of your account. So that when daddy sees you, he's not going to see your sin. He's not going to see everything that's bad. He's going to see what I did for you. So you think, that's cool. Great. We're free. We're not seen as sinners anymore. But is that the point of what God is after when we are not governed by the law? No. Paul says he has done this so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. He continues on. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If your relationship with God is just about keeping a set of yeses and nos and making a checklist of do's and don'ts, you're no better than a slave is what Paul is saying. But Paul says, you are no slave. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are his precious ones. You are the ones that God has labored so much so that he could do all this so that you could just be saved. No so that you can cry out to him, Abba, Father. You know what's crazy about the way that Paul brings that up? We read that, right? Abba, Father. Oh, that's cool, right? And some of you guys may have already heard that translation for Abba is literally like saying, Daddy. Daddy. But you know what's, why it's so significant? See, Paul, in writing the New Testament, right? The New Testament was written in Greek. But that word Abba is not a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word. Paul is borrowing from another language that everyone knew. And they had some cursory knowledge of because he was wanting to drive this point home. God is your daddy. He is your father and you are his son. You are his daughter. This is the point of this thing that we tout so much called the gospel. 
Sometimes we want to talk about defending the gospel like it's an intellectual thing. But friends, the gospel is not something to just be reasoned intellectually merely. The gospel in its end goal is going to be a place. It's the thing. It's the vehicle. It's the vessel that's supposed to take us into the place of looking at God and saying, you're my daddy. So the gospel is not something to just be known in our minds, but it's to be understood and felt in the cores of our beings in our hearts. To relate with him in a way that we never thought possible. Why doesn't God rule us by the law? It's because his goal is to adopt us as sons and daughters empowered to live free in him. God is not trying to enslave any of his children. He longs to free us. And the way he chose to do so was to make us his kids, his children. And so we are no longer governed or ruled by the law. We're ruled and we're governed by love. Love is our law. Love is our rule. Love is our structure. Love is the means by which we relate with God and he now relates with us. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I have mixed emotions on Father's Day, right? Because um, I think back to my relationship with my own dad. You know, I haven't spoken to my dad in a number of years. You know, our relationship hasn't been so good, um, in large part because of how, you know, he, he stepped out of our family. Yeah. And of course, you know, I understand my grew up, my dad, you know, my dad's old. My parents had me super late. Right. And so my dad grew up in a post Korean war torn era here in Korea. Um, and so he had to hustle at an early age. Right. He grew up in the countryside, but he moved out to Seoul trying to make a living. And so he had to hustle. And my dad, the way that he hustled, he's like, he's like not like a I, mean, I got to say, my dad is an incredibly hard worker. I mean, if you give him a task, he will go above and beyond, right? But, you know, my dad was like a hustler. So it's like, whatever I can do to get ahead, I'll do it so that I never have to live in poverty again. You know, that was my dad's mindset. And so, of course, growing up, right, it, may, it might be great individually to get yourself going. But when you're raising a kid, when you're raising a son, to put those standards, right? For my dad, it was always those things. How are your grades? Are you top of your class? You know, are you in good leadership standing? Right? So I, like in high school, I did all this stuff. I was an ASB, right? You know, I was like top 10 in my class, got into UCLA, right? When my dad found out I was going into UCLA, he was like, he must have been thinking, okay, he's going to be a millionaire for sure now, right? Oh, great. You're going to be able to offer something in exchange for everything I invested into you. It's a lot of my understanding of authority. My understanding of God was colored by that principle, that elementary principle of the world. I'm only as acceptable as what I have to offer. And you know, it works pretty well in the world, does it not? If you are smart enough, talented enough, skilled enough, and you have a lot to offer, man, there's a lot of people who will come knocking on your door until you have nothing to offer anymore. But this colored 
the way that I view God. And so, you know, when I found out that I was going to have a son, I got really nervous. Because as people, we have a weird tendency to perpetuate the things that we hate. It's weird, right? How many of my friends have I seen say, I will never be like my dad, and they become just like their dads? My, my theory is because it's, that's all you're thinking about. You have no other model besides the person that you don't want to be like. So you end up being like them. I was nervous. I mean, over the years, I'd gotten a lot of inner healing. You know, I had so many father figures step into my life. And yet, I knew that this was going to be the arena now where I would see what I experienced in my heart, the way that I talked to my son. And so these past 20 months have been quite an interesting ride because it has both been a challenge in adjusting my understanding of the father. But it's also been a pleasant surprise to see how much of the father has already come into me. I say this genuinely. I love being interrupted by my son. Right? Sometimes I come home, right? Especially Saturdays and I'm finishing up my message. And like he'll come to me. Right? And I'm tempted. Jed. Abba's busy. Come to me later. Right? But I genuinely don't feel like that. When he comes to me, I'm like, what's up, dude? He goes, right? And there was a particular day. It wasn't a Saturday, but it was just during the week. I came home, and Jed was so happy to see me. And, and he goes, blah. And he goes, uh, 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 right? I say, hold my hand. And goes, uh, uh. Right. So we hold hands, and he takes me into his playroom, right? And I'm, like, so tired, right? I'm coming back from the office, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't know if I have the strength to, like, you know, like, pull you around and do all these things. But, you know, it's so funny because he guided me into his playroom, and he sits me down on a rocking chair. <laughs> so funny. And he just starts playing. And, if I'm, and, and every once in a while, he looks back to just see what I'm doing. I'm just looking at him because I'm so fascinated. I'm like, oh, I thought you wanted me to do all this stuff for you, but you just brought me in here so that I can watch you. And as I'm watching Jed, I start getting really emotional. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, Jed, you don't have to give me anything right now. But as your dad, I just love seeing you. I just love who you are. I just love that you are you. And I feel so lucky to be your dad. Even these days, as Jed is growing up and he's showing more of his independence. Dude, I can't tell you, I've never been slapped so much in my face. <laughs> I've never eaten so much food off of the ground. <laughs> I've never had to clean up after so many things. And yet, when Jed doesn't even give me the base level obedience that I seek and I desire, even as I'm cleaning up after his mess, I love him so much. I'm reminded of the passage in scripture when Jesus says, if even your earthly father who is evil won't give you stones if you ask for bread, how much more your father in heaven? And I think about this. My love sucks. 
in comparison to God's for us. And if I feel this way towards my son, Jed, how much more God towards us? See, we think God's waiting for us to shape up. We think God's waiting for us to clean up our act. And that's not what he's doing. We think God's in heaven on his throne going, when are you going to show up? Huh, Billy? When are you going to start acting your part? When are you going to finally prove your love for me? When are you going to start showing me that you are a legitimate Christian? We often put God in that seat on his throne, but we forget that God left this throne. We forget that God left heaven. We forget that God went out of his way to come into human history, the very history that he created. Think about this. In seminary, we learned about this crazy thing called the hypostatic union. What is the hypostatic union? It is saying this. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, at one point in time was not in time. He was always in spirit. And yet, somehow, in some way, which I will never be able to scientifically or physically explain, eternal God, the Son, became the God-man. He walked into his own creation to humble himself Why? So that we can call him daddy. We think we got to go chase after God and we forget how much God chases after us. We think that God wants us to get our butts out of our seats when he left his. To put his back on a cross. So I look at Jed and I ask myself, father, daddy, What's my responsibility to Jed? What do I need to be to Jed? And I hear God say, be unto him as I am to you. Your job as a parent is to guide him until he hits puberty. Show him the principles, the heart of love. Structure your home so that you can let that flow. I'm going to have a curfew for Jed for sure. Right? Man, because hormonally active Boys can do crazy things, right? I'm going to have a curfew. I'm going to have these things. But I'm always going to tell Jed, Jed, one day you got to leave my house. One day you got to start your own family. One day you got to do what you got to do. So you know me, I'm just here for a short time. Daddy's just your guide. Daddy's just your tutor for a time. And when that time comes... You're going to have to go and relate to your daddy in heaven, just like I do on my own. That's what I dream for, Jed. I have no desire turning 60, 65, 70, and still having a 40-year-old son in my home. I long for him to be free. People ask me, what are you going to do if Jed says he wants to be a pastor? Let him. It's his life. Someone even asked me, what are you going to do if Jed goes, I want to save money and go to junior college, right? The Korean heresy. Let him. Because since when did I base my relationship with him on what college he goes to? What kind of job he has? On what he can provide back at home to me? I'm just his daddy. God's our daddy. Forget that. But there's no better day to think about that 
than on a day like today. God, when he looks at us, has such love. The thing that makes his love so powerful and so scary at times. I wonder if sometimes the biblical authors, if they met when they talked about the fear of the Lord by this. How could it be that someone who is so big, so perfect, so good, have the audacity to embrace me? That's the mystery of Christianity, friends. Why me? Why us? God's answer. Because I love you. Because I'm your father. You're my kids. Now I want to just ask the keys to come back up.